Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Josh Adams. Hey, that's weird to say it like that again. <laughs> Josh, Hello, everyone. Josh Yay, is, Josh. He's back for a rare appearance. So obviously we're talking about an alien movie. <laughs> oh, it's either Alien or Star Wars or Marvel, yeah. Lord or Dune, apparently. Dune, yeah. Uh, and A24. I don't know if you saw it or not, but we do get to squeeze some A24 in there, too, so that'll make it fun as well. Mm. Uh, visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all your podcatchers. Uh, rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review, and we will read your review on the air and then give you some of the uh, Blu-rays that Sean has gotten from various production companies. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is a several bonus podcast. Uh, we do have shows where we review music, actually. We do have some movie ones as well. Uh, really fun I Spit on Your Grave episode. It sounds weird, but it was actually, I I think it was really good. Uh, we've talked about Nirvana, Metallica, The Beatles, several uh, bonus podcasts, and there'll be more to come. So patreon.com slash criticspot if you want to help support the podcast. And then our public link at ihatecritics.net. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a little blue link that says public. Click on that, and you can get some of our podcast merch. Okay. Now we can get to the show. Uh, so what have you seen this year, Josh? Anything fun? I have seen a lot of fun things, but uh, admittedly, most of it is television thus far. Um, but what I can join you guys on is uh, is something I know you enjoyed. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, we caught that about a month ago, and it was just as amazing as I had hoped that it would be. Um and both members of my family liked it even more than I did, both placing it in what they would call a top five all time for them. So obviously it, it's reached a lot of people. It just became the all time grossing A24 movie, as I understand, and it deserves every every minute of it. So anything beyond that, you know, Batman, Doctor Strange, who really cares? Because <laughs> that one is there. Yeah, I, I think for me and Sean, it's definitely top five as well. Maybe even top one for Sean. It is my one, yeah. So it's uh, just a fantastic movie. Uh, and it, again, it's had the midsummer effect where I haven't really liked anything since then. Uh, <laughs> hopefully today changes things. Uh, we, we shall see. Josh, what did you think of Doctor Strange? I was uh, pretty disappointed. To be honest, uh, I don't think that it's a bad movie, but uh, the scope of it was far less than I expected, and and we got some of that classic Sam Raimi clunkiness going on in there. Uh, I'm sure that everyone super enjoyed his uh, horror touches. I personally was not, you know, moved in any way to be scared by anything that I saw in that movie, um, and it was a little rote to me. I can understand if somebody at this point is bowing out or kind of meh about things so i can understand that uh the shows offer actually a bit more excitement than anything that i've seen in the theater since the end of the pandemic i've not been impressed with the tv shows uh i wasn't i i quit on i i've quit on all of them pretty much <laughs> i mean uh right through loki after wandavision like uh it's been kind of downhill for me 
when it comes to the TV shows. I gave up on Moon Knight after four episodes. Um, I did. I am starting another one that uh, is out, not out yet, so I can't talk about it. But uh, that one at least is promising. I'm looking forward to the one that you're speaking of. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, no, I'm not going to say. I don't want to get in trouble. We're talking about Marvel stuff still? Yes. I, I didn't mean specifically. I was <laughs> doing my classic Bob. What are we talking about again? <laughs> <laughs> because you were paying attention, but it makes more sense to, to announce that you weren't paying attention. I understand. Josh, a quick thumbnail sketch of your uh, Batman review. Uh, well, uh, a Batman movie that's really a movie first and uh, uh, so darn realistic and grounded that you you could really take the suits out of the film and everybody would, would be would be just fine, uh, to be honest. I, I enjoy the, the depth of each of the characters. Um, I really like Jeffrey Wright in that movie. Um, Paul Dano, if anything, was the one part that I said, nah. You're really good, Paul Dano, but you're also just overdoing it a little here, you know, just a just a wee bit. Uh, I guess you could say I, I also have a, an issue with the illusion that they made to the other inmate of that prison at the end. Uh, he's a wonderful actor to choose to play that role, but boy, oh boy, it just it, it reeks of Silence of the Lambs all over the place. That deleted scene, if either of you have seen that, that was released with a further Joker part in it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's basically just the Clarice and Hannibal scene from Silence of the Lambs placed right into the film with Pattinson and Barry, Barry, Barry Keogh. Keegan. 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 Okay, sure. <laughs> That's going to be like uh, Scherzer Ronan. It's going to take me months to figure that out. But <laughs> anyways, we know how good he can be. And, uh, I don't know. That's that's a pretty. That's more than an outline. You asked for an outline. I gave you more. <laughs> I always. Do. And uh, so, just so I can bore Bob just a little bit more, what about Book of Boba Fett? Because I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So, admittedly, it's it's a little on the disappointing side. However, we got to see some things in that show that are just like. I mean, it it literally the kid in me was jumping out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> Ooh, look at that. Ooh, look at that. Um, for the parts that were pretty drab and slow, I owe that to the fact that Tamara Morrison can't hold a lead in a movie. Uh, he's not, uh, he's not a lead and he, he's awkward and delivering some of his lines. Uh, he's not nearly as good as and engaging as Pedro Pascal is, or for that matter, Fennec. Uh, Ming Hua, Ming Nguyen is, is, uh, is outdoing him in every scene that he's in too. So, hmm. but but some of the cool things that happen in that show are the cool things. <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil anything for right. anyone that hasn't you know watched it. But holy cow, it was fun. Ah, wake up! Now we're back. <laughs> Sorry, I was on Instagram. <clears throat> uh, do you? Are you as into Nicolas Cage as we've become over the last two years, or not really? <laughs> well, you know, I have certainly uh, the kind of appreciation that I think um, you guys have for him. Just I haven't seen nearly the amount of things that you guys have. Even when I was on the show, um, you were seeing the movie about him uh, 
being like a a guy who was involved in a war or something one like man that. Army. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and I know that you've talked a lot of it about his VOD stuff and I did really want to see the unbearable weight of massive genius <laughs> and I will I really will see it so my excitement level is there just the dedication is lacking you know that's kind of like most of my life actually the excitement <laughs> is there but the dedication lacks the one you got to see though Josh is pig uh, pig is incredible uh, it was uh, one of my top 10 last year it was Bob top 10 last year I imagine it would be in, in a top 10 you would make just because it is that good and that appealing and it really hits like all of our sensibilities uh, quite well I, I definitely uh, have that on our list if you will it literally is on an Amazon watch list for me so um, I think that if the most recent film makes its way to, to digital and then eventually becomes, you know, less than $10 to watch or something. I might have a Nicolas Cage double feature one night. It, it sounds like that would be a lot of fun. Oh, you'll love it. And maybe if I if I drink during the night, I could end the night with Mandy again, just for that. <laughs> Actually, you should end the night with Color Out of Space. If you're drunk during that movie, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I, it, he's just. We've been going back and watching movies we didn't like, at least me specifically. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy cow, I have a new appreciation for this movie, knowing what I know about Nicolas Cage now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a lot of fun. It didn't work for Firebirds, but it definitely um, worked for Snake Eyes. Yes. <laughs> Can't win them all. <laughs> all right. Let's go ahead and start the show with a movie we've all seen. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> Chippendale Rescue Rangers uh, stars the voices of John Mulaney and Andy Samberg in the uh, title characters of Chip and Dale. So we join the story. Uh, Chip and Dale have uh, been have not been friends for some time uh, after Dale ended their partnership on the TV series Rescue Rangers prematurely. Uh, Dale has gone on to uh, try and maintain his fame via conventions while uh, Chip is now a, an insurance agent and uh, has a very large dog. They get called back together by their friend uh, Monterey Jack, who's gotten himself in some trouble. Uh, he's in debt to some gamblers who have a are rumored to be kidnapping cartoon characters and selling them off into slavery in Europe uh, to European animation companies. And this is where I got to draw the line. Because uh, this movie isn't funny enough to justify the dark joke that is a movie essentially about human trafficking. Uh, if this movie were funnier, if it had bigger laughs, if it was more daring uh, and, and committed to one tone, maybe it could pull that off. But uh, for me, I just I was so taken aback by this whole thing where they, they opened the, they, they introduced this plot with the character of Flounder from Little Mermaid being kidnapped, tortured and sold into slavery. And I know that's supposed to be funny, but I did not laugh. It doesn't make me laugh. It makes me go, why are you trivializing this by making it with cartoon characters? And I, I know I'm probably taking it too seriously. I'm sure I'll be accused of being taken of taking it too seriously. But the rest of the movie doesn't do enough to justify that joke and that setting. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't make it uh, funny ever. It just makes it kind of sad and kind of looms over the entire movie for me. How do you not take human trafficking seriously? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because uh, it's cartoon trafficking, I suppose. But, wow. <laughs> uh, I guess that's their intent. 
part of me would like to see them really doing a, a gritty version of this with cartoon characters and like really going <laughs> for it. Uh, but that's just what I'm into. Animated Taken. <laughs> well, let's go higher brow than that. It's like <laughs> animated traffic. <laughs> See, that's, less that's boring. the sequel to this. Chippendale Rescue <laughs> Agents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd find one of those Korean movies and try to use that to help make this movie. <laughs> animated old boy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> old boy? <laughs> oh. I missed that. Uh, did, did you watch this, Josh? No. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you know, Rescue Rangers was the thing that I watched in my childhood, and that's great and all. And and I, I think it was followed up by Ducktales or something like that. Uh, and at that point in my childhood, um, I had already written off uh, furry squirrels and or chipmunks and or bears that were uh, personified. I was more into the Scooby-Doo gang and the Super Friends at that point. So I'd graduated, you know. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, the, so, the, the whole thing is just so mediocre beyond that dark joke, beyond that comic human trafficking story it's just so mediocre and i expect more from from john mulaney i expect more from akiva schaefer i expect more from andy sandberg they've all done uh, incredible work outside of this and the the major problem is not just that human trafficking plot which is pretty bad but also just the fact that they can't commit to a tone is this a movie that is supposed to be uh for adults or for kids and they want to have it both ways they want to make a family adventure movie but they also want to have a dark joke about human trafficking uh, and, and the tone just never sticks. And that's just really. And on top of that, the, the main plot point is kind of weird because it's about Ro- Robin Hood is the big bad guy. The Robin Hood from the classic Disney Robin Hood. And no, wait, it's a Peter Pan. Sorry, it's Peter Pan. And he's voiced by Will, Will Arnett. And his big complaint is that he aged, that he got old and he doesn't get cast anymore in anything. But he's got this machine that can change the way cartoons look. So why doesn't he just put himself in the machine, change the way he looks, get younger, and get his jobs back? <laughs> it's kind of a dumb plot when you put it together like that. Sounds like it wants to be a Lego movie or Lego Batman or something like that. Mm. Well, that's a shame. Uh, the next movie. I only got three new movies this week, Sean. Is that accurate? Um, I think so, yeah. All right. This is one I didn't see either based on what you've told me so far. Bloody Oranges. <laughs> oh, I was hoping you'd watch this one. <laughs> I would have watched it if it wasn't for the fact that you didn't send me one text message while you were watching it, which led me to believe that uh, if it wasn't interesting enough to you, uh, uh, yeah. it would be even less interesting to me. <laughs> it's, a, anyway, it's a movie. Give Josh a little preliminary what it is bloody oranges is a movie that purports to be one of the most shocking movies of the year it's got a lot of outlandish violence sexual violence and uh uh, it definitely aims towards i don't want to say sallow but certainly it's in the it's in that wants to be in that ballpark in terms of movies that you remember for being so very very shocking uh it's a multi-pronged story there's an elderly couple at a dance contest 
They have a son. Uh, there's a finance to the, the French finance director who's kind of a monster. Also, this kind of a himbo character who's very, he's kind of dense and, and cruel. And you kind of kind of hope for bad things to happen to him. And they do happen to him. Uh, there's a young girl who's eager to lose her virginity. And there is this evil murderous rapist who's a, who has a giant pig for a pet. And he's a very, he's a very Buffalo Bill kind of character, but very casual, uh, in a very casual sort of way. Um, it's a weird tone that the movie kind of nails in that it's very, it's a relatively light tone, not comic, but certainly if it's, it's not straightforward. It's not, if it were straightforward, this would be torture porn. Uh, but if, but it's not. They, he keeps it, it does, there's such a, uh, a really strong satire at the center because the French finance minister is taking away people's pensions and, and cutting pensions across the board. And that's left the elderly couple in the dance contest basically having to win this dance contest in order to keep their house and, and not go homeless and hungry. Uh, that in on top of that, he's got another monstrous characteristic to him, the French finance director. But it's also leavened by this very funny scene where he's being interviewed by uh, by this woman and expecting to get this big question about whether or not he's hiding money in Switzerland, and then it doesn't come. And we get this very very darkly funny uh, series of him getting his getting photographed. That's very funny. His fate, what happens to him? Uh, I have a hard time with this. Like I'm, I've been parsing this a lot because there's a great deal of sexual violence in this movie and it's shocking sexual violence, but it's sexual violence that happens to people who are not deserving, but like you don't mind seeing them be harmed in the way they are harmed because they deserve it. They're terrible people. I don't normally go for the biblical kind of violence. I'm, I'm certainly not pro death penalty or anything like that, but there is something to be said about the catharsis of seeing a bad person be treated badly. And that happens to two of these monstrous characters in this movie. Um, so you're pro microwave. I want to <laughs> say what happened there because I don't know. Uh, I think I they do like show it in the trailer. They do. Uh, well, I don't. They don't show it. Show it, but they clearly something with genitalia and the guy's blood and looks like he's eating something. No, she pulls off his balls, microwaves them, and shoves them in his mouth. Yeah. All this, right. is, this is after he's raped her. She's taking revenge. So you liked it more than I thought you did. And if, I guess I misunderstood everything. I, I've been busy and I misunderstood what you were. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how, how much I like. I, I don't know if I love the movie. I don't know if I like it all that much. I think I appreciate it in a strange way what they're going for. And I think it does accomplish that. So I think I am positive on the movie, but I, I, I'm deeply conflicted because, again, the portrayal of sexual violence is something that I take very seriously. And this is a movie that does also treat it with seriousness, but also uses it as punishment. And that is something that is very dangerous. That's not a precedent anybody wants to set. And uh, so that that does leave me greatly conflicted as I as I think about this movie. Yeah, based on what I saw, it looked like it wasn't going to live up to the shock expectations. Only when you, not that it's not shocking, because what you said is very shocking, but we've seen some fucked up movies. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it, it didn't seem like it would 
necessarily make it into the list of the most fucked up. Uh, maybe it was trying too hard. And I'm basing all this on the trailer and the fact that you didn't send mm-hmm. me a text message during the movie. So uh, I'm it doesn't definitely quite, projecting. It doesn't quite get there. It doesn't get to, like, you know, Cannibal Holocaust, which I think is an incredibly shocking film, but also one that has a, a, a larger point mm-hmm. to make about uh, about our uh, our culture of violence and and that uh, that movie justifies itself with its horrific violence by by having a bigger larger point that is just as shocking and impactful as the movie um this one doesn't quite reach that height but again i'm not sure if it's aiming for that um i'm not quite sure what it's aiming for it is it is a satire and it does definitely have some some bite to it in the way that it's about you know human dignity and about trying to restore human dignity or those people who have their dignity taken from them. So there's something to be said about that. But uh, again, I'm still very, very conflicted. No, I get it. And I'll try to find a time to watch it. So Josh, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think about microwave well, balls? Well, this whole time I've, I've been thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part, I, I kind of just had my mouth agape a little bit. Uh, this is roughly the four-year anniversary of us watching Solo because mm. Solo was around this time, <laughs> and we obviously paired it with that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've never eaten chorizo the same way again. So, <laughs> <laughs> needless to say, Solo has been a topic of discussion in a movie group uh, this week because mm-hmm. some people have been discovering it for the first time due to a sale on Criterion Blu-rays. So when I'm thinking of shocking movies, obviously I go to that, and I did finish that movie. Uh, we did discuss it, and I, I didn't necessarily uh, think that it needed to exist, but it does, and so therefore it sets a particular bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, my curiosity at any time with these kind of movies now, be it this or Human Centipede, or I have not seen a Serbian film, for example, um, does this fit in that pantheon? Does it reach that low bar or the high bar, if you will? <laughs> not really. Not really. This is more, I think you can compare this closer to something like a clockwork orange with that kind of, that kind of violence that has a particular point to it and uh, you know cultural commentary to it as well. So I think, I think if you're going to compare this to something, it would be in that second tier of movies that are kind of are that are movies that sort of aim to shock you like a clockwork orange, which uh, not to say that those movies are better, but they're more shocking than a Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange is shocking in itself, but those movies are kind of a, on another level of of appalling. Well, and the ones that like <clears throat> Martyrs or you know the one you mentioned earlier, they're also intriguing when you're watching them. Like you can't keep your eyes off the screen. You don't know what's going on. You don't want to look. And I don't know, this old boy, whatever else. That's kind of not that old boy is that. It's pretty gross, uh, but. <laughs> You know, each the, the killer. killer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the Takashi Miike movies, other than that. Uh, they're just more intriguing as well. So it's not just shock for the sake of shock. The shock serves a point. Uh, it sounds like it does here, too. It just doesn't quite. I don't know. The marketing I didn't love because that's all they mm-hmm. used in the trailer was how shocking this movie is. Yeah. And definitely kind of made me not all that interested in spending the time. It's very precious right now. <clears throat> All right. Let's move on to A24's Men. Men stars Jesse Buckley as a woman who's, uh, who's recovering from the end of her marriage. 
uh, the very shocking <laughs> end of her marriage. She's going out to a country cottage to uh, spend some time away to relax and clear her head. Uh, and when she gets there, she's met by a character played by Rory Kinnear, who uh, is kind of nice, but also kind of has a creepy vibe to him. And soon weird shit starts to happen. Uh, the, a naked guy emerges from the woods and uh, soon after follows her home and is you know, kind of stalking around her house. And, uh, strangely enough, everybody seems to have the same face, uh, the Rory, Rory Kinnear's face on them. Uh, but it's, nobody really comments on it. She doesn't comment on it. We're, we're all just kind of seeing it and just sort of feeling it. It's all part of this weird vibe that is taking hold. Uh, meanwhile, interspersed with that are flashbacks to what happened with her husband in this very shocking encounter where he said, if you leave me, if you divorce me, I'm going to kill myself. And then he dies. And the 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 intricate puzzle that, that Alex Garland puts together here is so fascinating. The way he mixes those flashbacks in so perfectly, all of it uh, building this ball that's rolling down a hill towards this major point that he's going to make. And it, it really just all worked on me, including uh, the scenes of incredible body horror at the end that are both terrifying, but have this big overall point to be made about the way that uh, misogyny is handed down from generation to generation to generation, men continuing to influence men in the most negative ways imaginable. That that overarching point, I think, is so strong and and with the way he portrays it, with the way he puts it out there, is so in, so incredible. Uh, <laughs> there are elements of this reminded me of the way of, of incel culture, the way incels talk to each other about about you know uh, fatalism and you know the the way that women treat them. Uh, there's elements of the men's rights movement, that toxic group of assholes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, those elements on the fringe of our cultures, like internet comment sections, like YouTube comment sections on any video that a woman does, especially when a woman talks about Star Wars or Star Trek, <laughs> we get, it gets very ugly for whatever reason. Uh, that kind of stuff kind of permeates the edges of this movie as well, because that's the kind of thing that, that her husband and the men around her in this village are kind of all perpetuating, that it's all her fault. And everything is aimed at her, and it's her fault. She did this, and she didn't do anything. She just existed in the world. She just exists in this world, and these things keep acting upon her and acting upon her, their own rage, their own insecurity, their own anxieties. And that the way he builds that so beautifully just makes this movie resonate so deeply. On top of that, his compositions are just incredible. The symmetry uh, of the cinematography, the, the, the visuals of the movie is just so gorgeous. The way he centers her in the frame and, and surrounds her in darkness or anytime you like, you'll, he'll set up a, that perfect uh, combination, that perfect uh, composition and then break it a little bit by moving the camera or having something enter the frame that is unexpected. It's just so, so masterful. I just, I was, I was incredibly moved by this movie. I was incredibly intrigued by it. I was grossed out by it for sure, but it, it, it in that classic sort of Cronenbergian way uh, that you want to be shocked the way that you want Cronenberg to, to take you to that bizarre place. Alex Garland definitely has that Cronenberg air to him that is really, really strong. It showed it in Annihilation as well in the in a couple of scenes in that film. And it shows again here. And it's just, it, I think this movie is incredible. Absolutely. Josh, did you get a chance to see it? I didn't, unfortunately. Um, father-in-law was in town and I 
don't think I could drag him to this film yesterday. <laughs> but yeah. based on what you're saying, let's com- I would compare, of course, all of Garland's other works, Annihilation, Ex Machina, Script for Sunshine, even if you want to go back that far, and the television show Devs, if either of you have seen that one. Um, he created, wrote, directed the episode starring Nick Offerman, um, Allison Pill, our two players in that one. And that is science fiction better than all of the other stories he's already done. Um, that's my favorite work of his so far, in fact. And I love what he does with power dynamics and the, uh, the vast movements for these top characters in power to get to where they were and then the vast movements that need to take place to upheave those bad people in those positions of power uh the almost primal urge to uh, overcome that i mean we can see that next mac you know i definitely saw it in devs on a on a much more global scale <laughs> it's there in annihilation too and i know what <laughs> I think I have an idea of what he is all about now and anything that he does, I'm going to watch. Um, but this one, I, I'm really disappointed. I didn't get to see it uh, opening weekend, mainly because I've seen all of his stuff now on opening weekend, um, except this. Yeah, it really is fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> I guess my only real criticism would be, I don't know if it was his story to tell. You know, I would have rather had a woman's point of view on something like this. But uh, that aside, it doesn't make it any less great. Uh, The artistry behind it is just fantastic. It's amazing to look at. It's flat-out terrifying at times, just the way that he takes regular... Not even regular. I mean, it's a naked guy showing up at your house. It's pretty not regular. But, I mean, it's... Like I really love the movie Strangers because uh, that movie was, I thought was truly scary, and <clears throat> this does that tenfold uh, in such a more you know less you know I don't know just a more dangerous way it felt like I don't know I, I've the whole misogyny thing that's I just feel like women are not. <sighs> They're not getting heard properly. I feel like anything civil rights wise kind of outshines it, which is important too. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like you know you look at the Hugh Hefner documentary and the Bill Cosby documentary that's going on, and it just gets swept under the rug. You know, it's not treated the way it should be. And it's so. This is a very important movie. I, I do think another movie needs to be made like this with a female voice. But in terms of this movie itself, and the artistry behind it, Alex Garland knocks it out of the park. And I, it, I don't know. I, it was really, really great. The ending is so uh, unique, and I don't know. It, it was pretty awesome. Sorry, the dogs are really stressing me out and it's pissing me <laughs> off. The kids aren't doing anything about it. Yeah, I was, I was kind of having a hard time hearing you, honestly. <laughs> I know. Luckily, the podcast won't sound as bad. Uh, sorry. It happens. Oh, no worries. I wasn't going to hear you very well, no matter what. <laughs> I just, I, <clears throat> the main thing was that I, I would rather, uh, I, I do think. Like women's rights definitely gets swept under the rug a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get the attention it deserves. You know, it, it's 
because there is so much of that, you know, men defending men culture right now, and even just men in general. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. I catch myself at least having the thoughts. Maybe I'm not vocalizing it, but just getting annoyed in a moment and being like, well, I'm the one who's wrong here, and I got to not think like that. And I think we all kind of inherently have that mm-hmm. inadvertently. Uh, it's just. Uh, but again, this movie is so fantastic. The ending, like I was saying, is so remarkable just in how smart it is. It's not <clears throat> the way he does it is so shocking, but at the same time, the tone kind of shifts on you. And it's not as scary as it was earlier. I don't know. It's just really almost more pathetic. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it really mm-hmm. is great. And I can't wait for you to see it, Josh, because I really think you're going to love it. I absolutely will. He just makes his point. So, so, and some people have said maybe it's too, it's too simplistic, or even some have said it's a little obtuse as to what the point is. And I certainly walked out uh, of the film trying to to figure out what it was that he was trying to say in those final moments, and and then it sort of just fell into place with me when I started thinking about some of the images uh, that he's putting forward, and and suddenly thinking about those specific characters. You've got a kid. You've got a priest. You've got. Uh, a couple of younger men, a middle-aged man, an older man, and it just started to to click with me. Okay, now I think I I think I get it. And then you've got the it just this amazing horror imagery of the naked man who's covered in leaves, and whew, that is that is some striking, some striking visual horror. Um, it's, and Jesse Buckley is just amazing. She's just she's taking this all in, and you can't help but but feel for her in the way that she's. She just hasn't done anything wrong. She's just trying to exist. <laughs> it's like she's all she's trying to do is exist. She's got this awful husband who, you know, is blaming her for him trying to end his life. And uh, and in you know, every man she meets is just sort of acting upon her, whether it's a, a desire for sex or it's a desire for her attention or anger towards her as a symbol of all women. Uh, it's just, it's all of it. It just plays into the way that so many women are portrayed in this day and age, just for fucking existing, just for being in spaces where you know men uh, may not want them to be or, or are uncomfortable with them being there. And it's like, just get over it. <laughs> like, just, why are you being such a child? Well, and it's a weird. I mean, what women have to go through on an everyday basis, we take for granted. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's out in the middle of nowhere, all by herself, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part, we're going to be able to hold our own to an extent. And, you know, that size and strength does, you know, it, it's something I never really even thought about until there was one night I went to a concert alone and I'm walking back to my car and there was two young women in front of me. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I noticed they start, we're walking the same direction they start speeding up. I'm like, oh my god, they're scared of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it's and I don't know. A lot of light bulbs kind of clicked on, you know, when I noticed that. And, and it's just even like the priest in this or whatever he is is, you know, he's essentially gaslighting her. But I, I don't. I think he thinks he's being innocent and honest. And mm-hmm. you know, even the guys who walk up to girls go, "Why you smile? You should smile more." You uh. know, something as simple as that that you know and then they're like oh we're i'm just complimenting you i'm trying to make you happier you know it's 
it, this movie captures a lot of that, but I do think they capture it from the male point of, you know, kind of like us trying to talk about it now. And I would mm-hmm. definitely be very interested in the female perspective of this movie and maybe even a female version of it because I do think, uh, I, I don't necessarily know to be more art. It doesn't get much more artistic than Alex Gardland and he knocked it out of the park for what he was going for. But I love the subject matter so much. I would like to see it uh, from other points of view as well, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Anything else on men? See it, see it immediately. It's awesome. And our undisputed classic this week is uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Martin Scorsese. 1970, yes, 1974, directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Ellen Burstyn as Alice, a woman who, uh, as a child, she wanted to be a singer. She grows up to be a housewife and mother. Uh, she's in an, an abusive relationship, though she's kind of in denial about that. But her husband dies and she goes off uh, on uh, starting a new life. Um, the subject of this movie isn't so much as straightforward as a woman is just kind of out on her own for the first time as a single mother. Uh, this is the story of illusion versus reality. The illusion of the life that she wants versus the life that she has. Uh, and it starts right away with this brilliant opening sequence that is Basically, it's her as a child, but it's set in the world of an MGM musical uh, where we're on a backlot, uh, backlit uh, stage setting from MGM. It looks like something out of The Wizard of Oz, but it's this also this rose-colored red uh, thing, so rose-colored glasses kind of a thing. You know, like this is how she remembers it. It's not how, obviously, it was because this is very highly stylized. Uh, and, and we see her dreaming of becoming a singer. And then we there's this discordant echo that hits and an, and an airplane sound. And it just overpowers you. And we jump ahead 27 years to where she is uh, not a singer and not in her hometown of Monterey that she loves so much. But uh, in Socorro, New Mexico, married to this guy who's kind of a jerk and she has a son. And she's kind of deferred her dreams. And this is where another illusion has emerged, where she's creating, she's trying desperately to create the illusion of a happy marriage in order to justify having not followed her dream of being a singer. So, again, she's created this illusion once again, even as her husband is an asshole. uh, She's trying to pretend that that life is good. Once he dies, and uh, again, I love the scene where, he, she finds out that he's dead, and we actually leave her perspective for a moment and actually go to the accident, accident site. We see the blood and, and the aftermath of the accident. It's his way of shattering the illusion, not just for her, but for us. And we needed the visual of that to have that, have that illusion shattered for us so that we know she's untethered and can move on. She moves on from there to actually cha- to go after her dream a little bit of being a singer. But again, this is another illusion. She's 35, 36 years old. She's not going to get a record deal. She's not going to be Barbara Streisand, but she still gives in to this little bit of hope that she has of making a life as a singer. That again, it gets get, that illusion gets smashed by the arrival of Harvey Keitel, who seems like this very nice guy, but he's also a much younger guy. He he kind of provides her this illusion of being desired again and kind of makes her feel young again. But then, of course, that gets shattered when she finds out that he's married. And that her his wife comes to her house and asks her to not sleep with him anymore. And then he shows up and it becomes violent and she's forced to go on the run. And that's how she ends up in Mel's Diner, which, of course, is the setting for the TV show. 
Alice. And here again, I think, and, I'm, and this is just my interpretation of this, but I feel like she's creating another illusion here. Uh, this one being a happy life with this guy, David, played by Chris Christopherson. Uh, I think what she's creating is just another way to deny that uh, her life is hard or that uh, to, or to create a place where things aren't as bad as they seem. And I get that from a scene where Chris Christopherson is inter- interacting with her son, Tommy, and they get in this big fight on his birthday, this huge fight to where the point where David hits the kid and knocks him across the room. And she seems to, at that point, say, we're done. I'm done. I'm out. We're not going to be together anymore. That's it. But by the end, we get to get around to this being a big romantic ending. But for me, the cynic in me keeps going back to that scene where Tommy's, what, 11 years old in this movie? He's only going to become more rebellious and defiant as he gets into his teenage years. And that's only going to create more conflict with him and David. And I think she's going to, what, what's going to happen from there is she's just going to continue to perpetuate the illusion of the life she wants versus the life that she actually has. And I think that's a pattern that's going to carry forward throughout the rest of this movie after the movie ends, even as we are seemingly ending on a happy note. But that's just my broad interpretation of it. I can see that point of view. I guess I didn't really see it that way only because of, and I don't disagree with you, but the conversation they have, she's never, he was kind of the first one to push her to follow her, you know, to, you know, you can sing here. We can go there. Let's leave. You know, she was trying to find this mythical town, not mythical, but you know, this mm-hmm. town where she grew up in and that everything will change when she gets there. And he's like, all right, let's go. You know, I, I, it seemed like he was bringing things more, grounding it more. Uh, that doesn't mean what happened earlier is not going to happen again. Uh, mm-hmm. They do kind of address that in that, you know, the kid goes, I don't like that moment, but I still like him. I, I think that was mm-hmm. one of the lines in the movie. So I don't think the movie's intentionally given off that vibe, but I definitely see why you would feel that way. Either way, I, I really liked it a lot. I, I think... Uh, this is, you know, one of the better Scorsese movies. You know, there's always those different tiers. And I think this one, you know, lands in the top one or two tiers as opposed to some of the mid-range Scorsese movies. Uh, and I think a lot of that's due to, you know, from what I understand, from what I'm re- reading, Ellen Burstyn, after The Exorcist, was allowed to do whatever she wanted. And Coppola suggested Scorsese to make this movie. So they worked mm-hmm. together on it. And... You know, and you can see her voice all over this movie, and I, I think that that collaboration really works well here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I was quite impressed with it compared to we have been disappointed here and there with Scorsese. Sometimes we're blown away too, mm-hmm. uh, but it it's definitely run the gamut with him going back to watching his old movies, uh, and I, I really really like this one, uh, and. Even with, you know, I, I like your interpretation of it, and I also like mine. I, I think it, I, I like it both ways. Uh, I, either way, I, I'm a big fan of the movie. Josh, have you ever seen it? I haven't, but uh, I did watch the trailer before uh, we all got together so that I could at least have a perspective on where it was coming from. And, uh, you know, there's a couple weird things about this. Ellen Burstyn in this role is at an age. Um, that a friend of mine has been uh and they and she kind of still looks like ellen Burstyn, but the image 
the likeness is so striking that I actually did a double take when I was watching this. Uh, so I'm taken out of it just a little bit by that because <laughs> I would not want to see her in harm's way as if she if she clearly was in this trailer. I saw Harvey Keitel and Christopherson in the trailer, etc. Um, didn't realize this was a Scorsese movie until uh, I went to the IMDb page. And of course, I would like to see all of his stuff I- at some point. Um, but the most that I know about this film is that the font used was ITC Serif Avant-Garde. For the longtime listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I missed uh, you guys. <laughs> I, and what I love about this movie is that there is that each scene feeds into the next. There is mm-hmm. not a scene in this movie that you could lift out and say, okay, that doesn't belong. Every scene has a purpose as a point to play from the littlest thing to, to the bigger scenes. And it's really impressive. There's a little scene, uh, two little scenes, actually, that come kind of back to back. I guess one scene interrupts it, but like uh, Ellen Burstyn goes to a grocery store and she's buying all this food. And the guy at the grocery store says, well, you got company coming over? She's like, no, I just want to, I just want, I just want to just do this for my husband. I want him to chase me around the bedroom. (laughs) It's like, it's just such a funny scene, but it also is like, you know, she just wants this man to desire her. That's what she wants. And then she kind of gets that a little bit the night before he dies. He gives her just that little bit of tenderness that maybe was the reason why she fell in love with him in the first place and was willing to give up her life that she wanted for this life. And then it's taken away from her by the, by the accident and his death. And that's such a, that's such a great series of scenes. So well played by Ellen Burstyn, but also very well directed by Scorsese. He makes it all work. Um, (laughs) There's this great moment early in the movie. One of the, one of the early scenes where she's uh, in in Socorro and, uh, her son's listening to Mott the Hoople and in the other room, she's singing, singing a song to herself and uh, <laughs> the kid calls her out on it. He calls her out basically for not living her dreams because he says something about Kitty Callan. This is the song that she was singing in the other room and he's actually calling her out for not following her dreams or not being a singer for not you know going after that. And it's kind of funny that way uh, that, that he does that because you don't necessarily expect them. And the way that they talk to each other is so unusual. And it's similar similar to the way uh, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill interacted in in uh, Paper Moon. Very similar kind of outre dialogue that you don't expect from a... It's like, like an adult talking to a child like an adult, essentially. Uh, treating, him like, treating him like a friend uh, in, in the way she speaks to him. And that, that unusual cadence that they develop is, is, very, is very interesting, very funny, often very funny and, and very insightful. Oh yeah, the kid was fantastic in it, uh, and even that scene where Chris Christopherson hits him. And now I'm not defending hitting kids, so do not take this this way. The kid was being an asshole when he, the Chris Christopherson lost his cool. Not okay. I'm not by any means defending that, uh, but he, he was actually. I mean, it was a great performance in that role in that moment. It it allowed you to, as a guy, understand the frustration he was going through. Again, not getting there but what's a different time not that it was okay then uh but i I just the whole thing uh like you said the way it's put together uh, it's very watchable on top of being well made it's i definitely highly recommend it i think you'll like it a lot josh and i it was really really 
fun to you know get through the movie and be like wow this is actually really really good because you just never know anymore as we go back and watch old movies sometimes they miss and this one does not in my opinion especially i mean the, the tv series at this birth does not exactly well remembered it's not i mean i don't know if it went awards or anything but i certainly never found it particularly interesting or funny it's okay, a pretty, hey, pretty typical sitcom you. Is so it was the sitcom Alice that I'm thinking of with yes. uh, Kiss My Grits and everything. Yes. Oh, I watched the shit out of that when I was a kid. So I mean, <laughs> somebody remembers it well enough. I had no idea that it was yeah. a spinoff. That's like Mash almost. <laughs> <laughs> Vic Tabak, who plays Mel in the TV show, also plays Mel in the movie. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that does it. Now he's gonna see it. <laughs> <laughs> I was aware Alice existed, but I'd never seen it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but let's move on to 1992, which is really why Josh is here. He sat through what 45 <laughs> minutes of maybe even longer of uh, through uh, but, but let's go and talk about Encino Man. <laughs> the real reason Josh is here in 1992, yeah, I could have seen any movie in the theater, and this week I went and saw Encino Man. <laughs> what did you go see, Josh? <laughs> Both. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and far away. Uh, anyway, Alien yeah. 3, David Fincher. His first directorial role as in, in a feature film, yes. Because yeah. he'd, he'd done work on Aerosmith and Madonna videos right. before this. And George Michael, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. You want to lead it, Josh? Oh, thank you very much. Um, sure. So Alien 3 is something that I had no idea was coming. And I'm not sure how many people at that time did know that there was going to be another sequel to Aliens. After all, we were pretty much under the impression that that wasn't a possibility. And so not only hearing about the film, but watching trailers, etc., everyone was still stumped as to how this could exist. Uh, nobody knew who David Fincher was at that time. Um, Nobody knew why Sigourney Weaver was bald. <laughs> Nobody knew why there was a little alien swirled up on the poster. Um, but, you know, this movie is not very good, okay? <laughs> Whether you watch the theatrical cut or the better received, and for good reason, assembly cut. Uh, there's not a director's cut because David Fincher didn't want to do it, and what would he actually do? There were so many hands on this movie while it was being made. How could he ever assemble something that he actually did in the end? Uh, to me, it's way less about the movie and it's, it's what this movie did for me personally, uh, dead serious here. I remember uh, yesterday was literally the 30th anniversary yeah. day um, and I got to have a friend come with me who we had passionately talked about the Alien franchise for some time. Uh, seeing a rated R movie with him, with my mom in the theater on a Friday night, was it was a real thrill. It was in a theater in Milan, Illinois, that uh, I had never been in before. Uh, so that was kind of unique. And that opening scene where the 20th Century Fox fanfare starts playing and then it seizes right at the end. All of a sudden, me and my mom look at each other. We've got standing hair on our arms. <laughs> now, that's what happened, too. We went to see Wayne's World in early 92, 
And all of a sudden, from across the theater, we see this poster by the concession stand. We both look at each other and say, is that what we think it is? We got closer, and we both, like, like little kids jumping up and down because we had shared those first two movies so many times up to that point, and we thought the journey was over. So everything surrounding this, the anticipation, uh, what it caused me to do in, in looking at movies going forward, uh, the trailer was so incredible for us. Everything surrounding the movie is fascinating, but the movie itself is a real disappointment. Um, and the last thing that I'll bring to the table until you guys get a chance to talk is consider what this movie should have been. Uh, originally drafted by Vincent Ward as a, a movie about an alien and monks on a wooden planet. Now, just from a science fiction perspective, that is weird and unique. You've never seen anything like a seriously all-wooden planet. The, the sketches of this are fascinating. So you can go through this movie from the genesis of it to what it actually turned out as is a perfect encapsulation of, of studio hands getting in there and messing things up and pure creativity that ends up turning into commercial and bad experiences with directors. Sigourney Weaver hated David Fincher at first. All of the side stories are amazing, but the movie itself kind of stinks. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, did you know it stunk at the time? Yes, I did. And in fact, I was pissed at it because they killed my hero. Like, Ellen Ripley was my favorite character in the movie fucking killed her. <laughs> Fuck you, David Fincher, for ruining my life. <laughs> I went home that night, and I immediately started writing a possible fourth movie where Ripley doesn't die. I mean, I was so desperate for her to not die uh, that I, I came up with a whole bunch of different scenarios up to the point where I had a 10-page script in hand five years later for a fourth alien movie. Uh, so that's how much I got into this, like nothing else, including Star Wars. It was, it was a pivotal moment in my life where I liked movies a lot to loving them and, and paying attention every day. Well, I feel bad because it was you who actually ruined aliens for me. When we, <laughs> when we did that double feature and I was just like, Maybe I need to watch them another time and do it again because they just seem so bad in that moment. And I felt like I I want to like these movies so much, and uh, they just don't seem as good as they should. And I don't know why, and it's bothering me. Well, it could have been that my girlfriend at the time was so clearly disappointed yes. <laughs> that she got vocalized, and you saw it from a newbie's perspective. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. how they did or didn't hold up. Right, and then when I, I read, I tried to read up a little bit on this before the show, and uh, what makes me really hate this movie, and I did watch it this weekend, is that David Fincher almost stopped making movies after this. Like, he went yeah. back to commercials and music videos and was like, I, I don't want to do this. And to think everything we could have lost because of this piece of shit uh, <laughs> makes me hate it even more. Thank God, you know, Seven came or whatever it was and changed everything, but... Oh, man, that would have been horrible. Just awful. This is uh, the, the, the mainstreaming of Aliens, the, tri- the attempt to mainstream uh, science fiction and make it palatable and safe for, for an everyday audience. Uh, 
dumbing it down to to ridiculous proportions to make it so it would be very easy very easy to go down because really what you come what it comes down to what this movie breaks down to in the end is just that alien camera that camera that is just pretending to be the alien running down hallways as they're yep. slamming doors and that's all very you know kinetic and and grabby and exciting but uh, that's really all it is. That's really there's nothing else to it. There's the characterizations are very banal. The uh, uh, the performance by Sigourney Weaver, Weaver is kind of sleepy. Uh, the Charles Dance is kind of sleepy. Like everybody's and the rest of the characters, due to the bald heads and the accents, you can't tell anybody apart. Nobody has a personality. Uh, they all meld into one character. You can't tell which one. Uh, is surviving, and it seems to me that he wants us to sympathize with these characters, but it's impossible to tell them apart. So how do you how do you g- grab onto one of these guys and go, I, I, "That's my guy. I hope he survives." Like you can't. Uh, and it, it's just it's just it's bad in a way that's just kind of banal. Uh, it it's bad in the way that just a, a mainstream action movie is bad that uh, a lot of you know just made very safely doesn't take any chances the sets don't take any don't pull any focus you know, they, they're not interesting uh the this prison planet thing is just in an incredibly dull idea um and the alien isn't particularly well realized other than that cool scene where she's around the corner and it like comes up next to her face, that's about all this movie has come yeah. for. <laughs> that is a pretty course, iconic that scene. Was the very first trailer, so right. I mean, the coolest moment in the movie was in the trailer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know about the camera things, Sean. It's interesting to note um, at the time, widescreen vision wasn't really much of a thing. I believe this is the first film to be shot with a specific kind of Panavision. Um, widescreen format camera and if you watch the film of course you can tell where it goes widescreen with that alien vision or whatever Mm -hmm. if nothing else if you turned off the dialogue in this movie and just watched it with Elliot Goldenthal's score in the background I think you'd have a hell of a lot more fun because it is I understand what you're saying about the sets Sean it's a prison it's not inherently good to look at but mm-hmm. the lighting in this movie is really something to me. It's a warm horror type of feeling. And then it's sometimes very cold and, and blue. Uh, the color in this one is really fascinating to the point where when I made an Instagram post yesterday, I was trying just to get the right filter to mirror what they did in this movie. Uh, and, and that Goldenthal score is one of my favorites, always has been. It's very tragic. Uh, this story should have been, as you said, Sean, uh, they tried to commercialize it like crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. But at its, at its heart, these movies were supposed to be like, you take an up-and-coming director, you give him the Alien franchise, and see what cool things he can do with it as a creative, visual artist. They did that with Ridley Scott, did that with James Cameron. They gave it to the right guy and they just got their grubby little hands in there and started messing around. Uh, there are hints of what David Fincher really could have done with this. Like, Ripley is such a tragic character in a way. They mm-hmm. just didn't round it out well. And then it spawned the rest of the thing that, where the, everyone 
continues to try and capture the magic of James Cameron's movie. It's not never going to happen again. I'm just going to jizz on myself seeing them. That's all. <laughs> it's crazy, too. You could argue that of all the directors of the Alien movies, the two best are the ones who did three and four. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, I would say that. Um Something else I would to say, I oh the 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 writing again going back to just how thinly characterized all these characters are and uh, how you know like the the prison the prison whatever the leader of the prison is is very stock character who doesn't want to believe that there's anything wrong and it's just you know like the mayor from Jaws but on a right. prison planet <laughs> you got <laughs> I was thinking while we were watching it. <laughs> and then you got the the really the thing that bugged me is that uh is the R- Ripley arrives on the planet and the people she was with are dead. Like here's everything that you might have, you know, been rooting for at the end of 2. Bye. Bye. Fuck that. Fuck you guys. Fuck the characters you like. They're they're gone. They're dead. <laughs> and and no stakes. There's no stakes now for Ripley. Uh <laughs> Like, come on! That's you know, I used to I used to believe that. Too. I used to believe that too until I finally, at some point in 1997, somebody tipped me off to the idea that Alien Three was born from James Cameron and not the executives. If mm. you listen to the very end of the credits in Aliens, there's the unmistakable and well-known now sound of an egg opening. So James Cameron had already done this and screwed the very characters that we loved, <laughs> not Fincher. And once I learned that, my path to healing began. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, still, regardless, I, th- I still think it's a bit of a cheap, a, a cheap way of uh, getting rid of those characters as it's portrayed in the film. Maybe it gets better in the assembly cut i don't know but I, I just, oh the way no it's that shit still hurts man <laughs> okay as it's portrayed in the movie though it comes off as very flippant it comes off as very forced it comes off as something that uh, a choice that they made that was just about well the girl aged and we can't have that and you know the other guy's too expensive so we can't have him either so let's just kill them off off screen and uh that's it we don't need them anymore and that's when you start seeing stuff like that in the movie uh, this is just one where you can see every person in the studio, you know, castrating it, <laughs> you know, every which way. And unfortunately, uh, it's it makes for a pretty crappy experience. I mean, I I think I was, I think it was Fincher. There, it was a quote I read from him, and it could have been a fake quote, but. It, Regardless, it was don't pretend like you like Alien Three just because you like me. <laughs> Alien Three sucks. Uh, I have nothing to do with the assembly cut. I- I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to recommend it. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. terrible movie. Don't watch it. <laughs> did him and Sigourney Weaver ever make up, Josh? Oh, they they did. Yeah, she when she was quoted about that, it was a quote more about how they were introduced because on her first day with him, she had bugs poured over her while she got her hair um, messed with and everything like that. So um, she did not have a good first day. And the thing is, they completely cut the whole idea of bugs all over her anyway. So it didn't even need to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, uh, whatever, there there is a minor amount of potential after you get past the the uh, death of those characters from the, from the aliens. And once you get past that and you get into the prison planet and you start to develop the relationship between 
uh, Sigourney Weaver and Charles Dance. I think there's some potential there. I think that they have a good chemistry. Uh, when he gets out of the movie, though, it's pretty much I'm done. I'm out because like he was the most interesting thing. He was making her more interesting. Their dynamic was kind of interesting. And I thought there could have been some stakes going forward with the two of them. Remove him from that. And all the other guys just blend into each other and don't matter. Yeah. It's Aside from maybe Charles Dutton. It's a series of uh, one being picked off after the other while they all say fuck really loud in a British <laughs> accent. This movie is one of the most concentrated F-bomb films I've ever seen. And I always noticed, noticed those kinds of things. Like, is it egregious sometimes? Yes. If it's in a Tarantino film, it's egregious, but I like it there. In this case, it's, it's very, ugh, it's awkward at times how many times it gets said, especially when it comes out of Ripley's mouth. In her weird speech at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag not my Ripley. (laughs) Nah, she's still my Ripley. (laughs) She my queen. Get it? (laughs) She's She's a clone now, though. Do you still love? Do you still love her as a clone? (laughs) I will always love Ellen Ripley, whether or not she's number eight or not. Yeah, I still, after that double feature, it's hard to not see her as a damsel in distress to like halfway through part two or aliens. Uh, everybody other than Sean argues with me on that one. <laughs> but, uh, that's all I see. No, that's okay. I'm going to go inside and cry later. I won't do it on the show. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm an asshole, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry, Josh. The rest of the pop culture universe agrees with you. So it's fine. We're wrong. (laughs) The the myth is taken hold, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Seems meaner when you say it like that. (laughs) I'll try a little extra now. It's okay. Uh, What else do we have from 92? Uh, I mean, there's not much to say about Encino Man. No, not really. <laughs> uh, I did like it at the time when I was 12 or whatever. He was fine. Brendan Fraser's really talented. You know, he makes that stuff kind of work. Uh, was it Sean Astin? Yeah. Was the yep. other guy? Yeah. He's, he's, he's incredibly boring. But Pauly Shore <laughs> is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I've never actually seen Far and Away. Didn't watch it this week. It's, an, it, it's a big, long epic and while tom cruise and nicole kidman are totally hot and have a pretty hot chemistry ron howard doesn't know how to capture that he doesn't know how to how to put that together he he's not a guy who can do sexy <laughs> and, uh, and, that's, and so it kind of falls a little bit flat uh especially at the length of what almost three hours i think uh, yeah, I'm I'm 100% behind that. Far and Away to me is a super, super boring movie that I, I'm thankful that I have never seen a second time. Um, <laughs> I know that they caught some lightning in a bottle. Didn't these three do Days of Thunder together? Like Howard directing it, and then these two are obviously the stars. Maybe he didn't direct it, but I, I no, he didn't feel like that. he did. Okay. I thought, it was, I thought that was one of the Tony, Scots. Tony Scott, I thought, yeah. did it. I don't oh, know okay, for sure, okay. though. Well, needless to say this one just ugh, i was so glad when it was over it was like uh, more mainstream summers be you know two really <laughs> hot american people well no nicole kimmins australian never mind <laughs> Stop talking. okay 
Did somebody just name check Summersby on this show? What the hell is happening? I don't even hey, know. What, I don't even know what that means. Year, man. You're gonna have to name check it next year. <laughs> what is Summersby? <laughs> Richard Gear and Jody Foster looking longingly into each other's eyes. While we while we doze off. <laughs> while we slowly die. One of my favorite things in the recent episodes of the podcast when we did backdraft, <laughs> Sean and I were just like. I think it might have been Sean that said it. Is like, I think my problem with this movie is that it's just too much of a movie. <laughs> 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 and I knew exactly what he meant, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> my God, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how it went. I don't remember if you remember how that went. I just remember us it, talking yeah. about it being too movie-ish. Yeah. Uh, and then Europa, Lars von Trier. I tried watching it, but it was I, I couldn't get through it. <laughs> mm. Turn thirty. I did. I didn't. I forgot it was coming out, so I didn't get to it. Uh, next week we don't have a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Top Gun. Uh, I think. Uh, I think I might call an audible and just throw in a random Cronenberg just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even 92, I think we got Sister Act, so there's not a whole lot going on, so we're going to probably improvise as we go throughout the week. Uh, I have zero interest in going to the theater to see Maverick. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't a big Top Gun fan to begin with. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Josh, if you want to do it, I can sit out. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you that I am going to see it, and, and Ben actually really wants to as well for whatever reason uh he was lukewarm on the original um but for whatever reason and and i want to see this in uh either imax or the d box i i want them to blow me out of the theater again you know if i'm affected physically or emotionally by a film uh count me in and i know it's going to cost a little extra but i have some free tickets lined up so this is a perfect opportunity to uh, do everything that Tom Cruise wants me to do. <laughs> and my son does want to see it, so maybe I can participate. So you're also going to purge your thetans? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, sorry, Scientology joke. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> All hail Xenu. <laughs> hey, right. You say science and you lose me. Even if it's Scientology, I'm just out. <laughs> It's actually Top Gun is actually getting really great reviews, like really, really great reviews from people I, I know and respect. So uh, I'm I'm tentatively looking forward to it. Josh, I had this problem with the trailer where John Hamm is giving this speech to Tom Cruise, like talking about how he doesn't want him here, uh, how you're only here because of uh, because of Iceman, and he's got like he's got to say is he's got he got he says like General whatever. Kilmer's last name is AKA Iceman as if he doesn't as if Cruz doesn't know who he's talking about <laughs> like Cruz was the one who was there dude <laughs> he knows who that guy is that's why he's in the program again yeah when I saw that in the trailer it reminded me of in X-Men when Patrick Stewart has to identify everyone by both their actual name <laughs> and superhero name like it's just a bit much Scott Summers, AKA Cyclops yeah it's called fan service. <laughs> I will be honest. I'm a little curious, you know, after watching the documentary Val, I, I 
want to i'm curious to see what his role is and you mm-hmm. know how he does in it because i Tom did Cruise said it was very emotional to see him again yeah and it, uh, that part i'm interested in and uh, i've always liked val kilmer so that said I, th- I i mean again going back to the trailer and i know I've, i'm just judging the trailer but like the the interaction between him and miles teller as as uh, uh his buddy's son uh, goose's son it just felt very forced. It feels like a very forced conflict. Like he, you know, the his dad was dead before he before he was born. Like, and I know that he probably would have resentment maybe from Meg Ryan's character having given him having raised him, resenting Tom Cruise. But honestly, I just don't know how he would grow up with the level of resentment that he brings to that speech. I don't know. It's weird to me. It's just it's it doesn't play, it doesn't play well with me. That that, that just felt forced in the trailer. You are giving Top Gun Maverick way more credit than I thought you might give to it. Uh, For me, the the bar is Top Gun. Like, we're supposed to listen to the soundtrack and watch the cool planes, man. I didn't give a shit about Kelly McGillis or anything in these characters' lives. So don't worry about Kelly McGillis. She she hits 60 and suddenly she doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Right, right. Uh, so move in Jennifer Connelly. She's just <laughs> acceptable enough, apparently. Uh, She's just young enough. But in this case, if it's better than, hey, buy my soundtrack and watch these cool planes, then I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's cool with me. <laughs> I, I give him this, you know, Cruz doesn't do anything halfway. So, I mean, uh, that that does. That it, does except give me when he hope. split up his Mission Impossible movies. He did those halfway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. But that is next week. Every all Top Gun all the time. A little bit of Sith <laughs> Tract, maybe some Cronenberg just for fun. Uh, just to lighten the mood, we'll throw in some Cronenberg. <laughs> just to give a little context and a little bit of substance to the show. <laughs> all right, you guys want to play a little bit of flick chart before we? Uh, uh, sure. Get out of here! It is yes, please. Uh, it's not. Uh, well, that's not fun enough. Uh, Moonlight or Amistad? Moonlight. Moonlight. Pretty easy. The Mothman prophecies, tales from the dark side. The movie. The Mothman prophecies. Uh, I haven't seen the tales from the dark side, but um, uh, yeah, it's hard for me to say. I'll skip this one. I've seen Mothman. It bored me. <laughs> I hated it. Uh, I'm gonna make it flip just for uh, god damn it fucking quarters it never goes well hey I win Mothman loses Wizard of Oz Doctor Strange Wizard of Oz yeah the weird part about that is it looks like a different Wizard of Oz Um, am I wrong on that yeah you're right Uh, that's the 1925 Wizard of Oz yeah, so I haven't seen that version. No, I haven't either. <laughs> All right. Dances with Wolves, Doctor Strange. <laughs> Dance, let's do this. Listen, before it loses, I'm just going to say I love you, Dances with Wolves. You're a dear film. The four-hour director's cut. Doctor Strange. I'll go Dance with Wolves. <laughs> Fuck <Marvel>. Yes! Ew. <laughs> I am done. I'm just marveled out. Uh, <laughs> save the last dance, salt. Save the last dance. 
I will take salt. I really like Save the Last Dance. And sorry. <laughs> Up, Airbud. <laughs> Up. Yes. Marie Antoinette, Twilight Eclipse. Marie Antoinette. I have seen neither. Marie Antoinette's good. The other one's not. In the Mood for Love, I've never seen you, Sean. I have. It's really, really good. Uh, I have not seen it. I have not either. Singing in the Rain? I would take Singing in the Rain, yes. Singing in the Rain is one of my top 100 now, so, yep. Nice. Hot Tub Time Machine Evolution. (laughs) Two supremely dumb but incredibly watchable movies. Um... Hot Tub Time Machine. Same for me. Me as well. Network Elf. Network. Network. Elf. I'm just kidding. Network's good. This this (laughs) network. (laughs) Uh, Driven Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity. I never saw Driven. Didn't feel the need to. Uh, Is it a viable Sylvester Stallone film? No. No, it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all the president's men's secret window the only good movie in dustin hoffman's career versus secret window um <laughs> oh my <laughs> i really come to hate dustin hoffman i don't know if you missed this in the past couple of years josh but yeah i just over the last couple of years i've had my illusions of dustin hoffman shattered quite quite thoroughly <laughs> to the point where Fair i can't enough. stand the sight of him <laughs> Apparently everything just disappeared on me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Sully, or, <laughs> Sully or Rocky Two. Rocky Two. Rocky Two. I go with Sully. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we did that for you, Bob. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Police Academy, Romeo and Juliet, 1968. Put Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It's for sure. Two. Agreed. Yes. Once the bodyguard. Once. Once. Agreed. City of God, Ghost Ship. City of God. Incredible film. Yeah, I have not seen City of God, but I did not like Ghost Ship. (laughs) Yes. I liked Ghost Ship more than I thought I did on my new blog. I was reading that the other day. Uh, Yeah, Josh, (laughs) you need to hear about this. He's been looking at old reviews that he has written and finding out that he's like, in love with movies that he thought he hated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Apparently, well, gosh, when you've got a, enough of a, a depth of oh, an archive as Sean has, then yeah, you're liable to come across that. I'm sure it's fascinating to talk to your former self. It truly is. I I loved Santa Claus too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ultimate fat shaming trilogy. <laughs> Uh, Ghost Rider. But the one, the one that Bob loved uh, is is very happy about is that I gave a positive review to The Ring. Yeah. Oh my! And I wow. totally forgot that I did it. <laughs> you you kind of remember The Ring at the moment versus what it, everything that came after it. Mm-hmm. it. It did change things for the worst, but still. But yeah, it's shot at the movies. Uh, it's uh, you just search for that to find the. The new blog. I've got over 200 old reviews posted with another more than 2,000 to go. So, Wow. Okay. Well, I'm on it. The Da Vinci Code, Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder. I hate the Da Vinci Code. 
<laughs> until I go back and read that I liked it. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club, Amelie. Amelie. This is funny in a way because I was about to say with Da Vinci Code, hey, Amelie is a descendant of Jesus because that's what they said in that movie. But uh, Amelie is the choice here. <laughs> Absolutely. I like Dallas Buyers Club more than you two did, but I, Amelie mm-hmm. is fantastic. Amadeus stand in real life. Amadeus by a lot. Uh, Amadeus by about as far as you can possibly get it. Dan in Real Life is one of my 20 least favorite films. Before Sunset Wonder Boys. Two incredible films. I mean, just two of my all-time favorite films. I love both of these movies. Before Sunset is the winner, but Wonder Boys is just uh, one of my favorite things I've ever written was writing about Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys is my choice here, but it's ever so slight. God damn it. I don't really care. <laughs> I've never seen Before Sunset, and I've forgotten Wonder Boys. Uh, so I'll let the quarter decide for you guys. And Sean wins. Sean always wins the coin flips. Before <laughs> Sunset, it is Joker the Wolverine. <laughs> it's not Logan. No, it's not. <laughs> Wolverine. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I'm voting so for it's Josh. Not a na- I'm just a f- so it's not unanimous. <laughs> oh, uh, fuck. Come on. Oh, this is our chance to pick against Man on Fire. It'd be great. Man on Fire or The Replacements. <laughs> Man on Fire. It's Man on Fire. I hate The Replacements more than I hate Man on Fire, honestly. Replacements is such a piece of shit. Yeah. Attack the Block, Tropic Thunder. Attack the Block. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but as I understand, that's John Boyega's uh, breakout Mm -hmm. role, and I would like to see him in more things, so at some point I will see that. And I'll let you have it because I haven't seen it either. So, since you've seen them both, Green Lantern, The Lion King. The Lion King. Lion King, again, about as uh, far apart as they could be. Congo, Cars 2. This is getting boring now. <laughs> Cars 2. <laughs> yeah, Cars 2. All right. That was a good <laughs> show, guys. <laughs> Until next time, Josh. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good night, guys. I appreciate you having me on and being able to wax poetic about that. Oh, anytime. Love you, man. I hope you can yeah. come on more. It's a lot of fun. Love when you're back. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>